Our Country, a country music podcast series with Sally Ann Witten, talking to the big names in Australian country music about their career, life, and the industry in general. Written and produced at 1287 2TM Studios in Tamworth, New South Wales. Welcome to our latest episode of Our Country. Sally Ann Witten with you. And we've been having lots of great conversations with lots of different artists, with musical directors, with musicians, and now somebody from the other side of the coin, so to speak. It's my pleasure to speak to Michael Chug this morning on Our Country. Hello, Michael. Thank you for joining us on 2TM. It's a pleasure. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Look, it's so great to chat to you about all things country music. I met you very briefly for the first time at the Golden Guitar Awards in Tamworth, and it's just great to see, I think, someone such as yourself kind of championing, championing, I should say, uh, for particularly some young up-and-coming country music artists. So can you tell us how you got sort of started into the entertainment industry and perhaps particularly how you dipped your toe into the country music industry? Well, um, born in Launceston, um, my father was uh, fought in World War Two, as most people did, and of the, you know of, of that age. And uh, after the war, um, I was born in '47, so I noticed when I was two or three years old, we used to get all these brown boxes from America, and I started collecting stamps at a very young age, and uh, they were always full of. Um, 33 and a third records and there'd be the latest mm. Benny Goodman Frank Sinatra uh, Oklahoma the musical wow. um, country acts like uh, Jimmy Rogers and all sorts of different music so uh, the reason we used to get them is that when dad was in the Solomon Islands with the Yanks he used to get care packages from my nana and my nana made the best fruit cake you've ever eaten in your life <laughs> and of course the Yanks didn't have any idea what fruitcake was I mean they can't even make carrot cake properly <laughs> that's true <laughs> so, so um, he started swapping Nan's fruitcakes for records and ah. so I grew up very young very very young listening to music and then my auntie dad's sister Barb who went on to run the uh, the uh, lingerie departments for Myers Australia wide she was one of the first uh, chugs to escape Tasmania <laughs> Somehow, she had, when I was around nine, eight or nine, she had every Sun Records 45. She had the original Elvis songs, the Chad Perkins songs, the Johnny Cash songs, all the original, Jerry Lee Lewis, all the original Sun Records. Wow. So I was introduced to Elvis very early, and I remember when I was about 12, I went, my dad used to work as an usher, as well as being a fireman, worked as an usher at, uh, in those days, there were six movie theatres in Launceston. And I remember going to watch Love Me Tender 38 times. Oh, my goodness, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, you know, in those days, radio was very... It played everything. So you'd hear um, you'd hear a Slim Dusty track, you'd hear a Reg Lindsay track. There was a band from Scottsdale in Tasmania called The Singing Kettles. Yes. Who were quite a, a big uh, thing, you know, and yep. being a Tasmanian boy, of course. So I grew up, you know, listening to all sorts of music and um, Hank Snow and all that stuff. And so, you know, it was only as you got older that radio streamlined down and country music disappeared off, off Capital City Radio. There was always a bit of the country boy in me. Um, 
I started running, I ran a dance for my cycling club uh, when I was 15 and um, the Beatles came along and I was I was gone. I, all I wanted <laughs> to do was be in the music business. Did you and, ever um, think about being a musician? Was that ever something that you oh, were interested in? I was in? hopeless. I, I wasn't <laughs> a bad singer at primary school. I used to sing on Mum's Day and all that over the PA at primary school. But then I hit puberty and I was became tone deaf. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a shame. You never know. It's never too late, you know. Oh, no, no. It's all gone now. I'm not a bad drummer when, you know, people freak out when I start drumming to do stuff music. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I was running dances, managing local bands, and I took a local band to Melbourne when I was about 20 years old and uh, um, decided, you know, I, Tasmania was too small. I needed to expand my wings, and uh, I did. And uh, within three days of being in Melbourne, moving to Melbourne, I met Michael Gudinski, who was actually 15 years old working uh, unbeknownst to his family, working as an assistant to a promoter in Melbourne. And um, we became pretty good mates, and, you know, our friendship lasted 52 years till he uh, passed away recently. Oh, wow, I didn't realise that you guys went way, way back. That's an amazing story, Michael. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when his father found out, when his father came home from an overseas trip and found out he'd left school and he was in the music business, he got thrown out of oh, out of, his, out of home. So I used to hang with him. And then, you know, he started Consolidated Rock. I was the poster boy. He had managing a band called The Chain in those days. Yeah. And uh, there was much excitement when Stan Rowe for three years out in Melbourne, who... Uh, you know, people like old Max Ellis would remember, but he played Black and Blue on 3UZ, which was the big station, and the ecstasy and the excitement in the office to get an Aussie band on radio was incredible. And that was like 70, 71. And then somebody came along and then Thorpey grew his hair. And <laughs> it was a magical era, and uh, I moved to Sydney in 72, because uh, we decided Melbourne wasn't big enough for me and Gadinsky, so I moved to Sydney. And I've been here ever since, and uh, that's how I really got started. Wow, really grassroots, so really just a passionate music lover, which certainly comes across in the work that you do, I think. Thank you. Uh, so how do you feel about, in all that time that you've been in the music industry, do you feel like you mentioned there that, you know, back in the day, radio used to play all music and there wasn't such a, a cultural divide, I guess you would say, like there seems to be now between country music and everything else. Do you feel like, and it's certainly not that way in the States, country music is so big in America. I mean, massive population difference, I, I know, but um, I do yeah, feel but country, like... country music in America actually gets a shot on mainstream radio. Yeah. Slowly happening here, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, so do you feel like there's a, a bit of a cultural cringe in Australia about country music, and do you think that perhaps radio's got something to do with that? It's fast disappearing. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I think in the uh, 10, 11, 12, whatever it is now, we've been running Sam C. Rocks that I started with my late great Tasmanian mate, Rob Potts. Um, I think uh, it's fast disappearing. I think Keith Urban... You know, it took Keith years and years to get played on Capital City Radio. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget. I think the first indication that things were changing was we toured Keith uh, when he was living in Nashville. We actually did his first, a lot of his tours up until recently. And uh, one of the first ones, he, we put him at the Enmore Theatre in Sydney. And I was standing outside, uh, as I do, and watching 
the audience line up and come in and I couldn't believe the amount of girls with purple hair and pins through their noses and studs everywhere and tattoos and short black gothic skirts and I thought there's something going on here and um, it, it started to change and uh, you know it, it amazes me now when we run CMC Rocks I mean we haven't as you know we haven't had one for a couple of years mm. but at the last one we had a lot of young American bands Morgan Wallen, should I dare say his name, um, and quite a few others, Ashley McBride, the, 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 the girl from Nashville. Um, we had a lot of unknown young American acts on, and I don't know what the kids do. I think they must get the program, and I think they drive from Darwin or Melbourne or wherever, and they listen to every band. And so it really was amazing to stand on the side of the stage and watch um, the kids sing every song. And I think that's really starting to happen. And I think, uh, you know, the Australian uh, country acts is some fantastic acts coming through now. And, uh, you know, we've just released Casey Barnes' new single. Uh, and, um, you know, you got write-ups in Rolling Stone calling it a classic uh, country crossover pop hit and... Music feeds calling it an incredible bop pop song, and and all of a sudden, you know, you start to feel as though you could get a crossover. I think Morgan Evans has had a lot to do with that, mm-hmm. and I think just the whole streaming world has just given country such a big shot in the arm. I mean, obviously, there's some amazing country radio stations and country networks that play nothing but country music. Oh, I think Triple M and networks like that going to country state digital stations, and I think all that. I mean, you know, I've been um, running shows in Tamworth and dealing with 2TM since I was first moved to Sydney in the early 70s, and, you know, it was always a country music town, but I've had sellouts up there many times with, with rock acts and things, and it's great to see that country music is starting to cross into the cities at a rate and I hope that you know radio programmers will start to play more and more country music What do you think um, those kind of radio presenters are looking for in this sort of new style of country music? Do you think they're looking for more of that country pop style or is it the Yeah, yeah they are and you know they're looking for stuff that fits their formats Yeah, and their formats are pretty you know they some of them still get bogged down and one day they'll they'll change their programming to all hip-hop and mm. things like that. And obviously Triple J is such a power and, I mean, you're never going to get country music on Triple J, but on the Nova Networks and the Triple M Networks, the more songs we can get to cross over, the better. You know, and I think, uh, I think the Wolf Brothers have got a big opportunity to cross over and... Uh, um, you know, it's all about song. It's all about the songs, and uh, I think more and more. You know, I know when Casey's been writing, he's already got eight songs for the next album recorded. And when they're writing, they're thinking about you know, not just country music, but all sorts of styles and adapting it all together. And I think it's a great time. 
You speak really passionately about, especially our Australian country music, Michael. What do you think it is about our Australian country music, our great artists and our great uh, particular style that is so endearing to people? What's so special about it? We're fresh and um, we're fresh, we're exciting and, uh, you know, COVID's quite limited, but all our bands, whether they're rock, pop, country, all get the the road experience and to learn how to play live and I think that's a big plus for Australian acts. Um, I know that, you know, if COVID hadn't happened um, and if COVID hadn't happened, uh, 1920 would have... 1920. <laughs> Feels like 1920. <laughs> yeah, I have. I have dementia lapses every now and then. Me too. 2020 would have been the year of Australian rock overseas or Australian music overseas. There's no doubt about that. It will come once the vaccine and all that. And we will have our moment where Australian music will rule the world. I'm really sad that my friend Michael Gedinski, who started it all way back in the late 60s, 20 trips a year, I'm sad he won't be here to... To, to bask in the limelight yeah. but it's going to happen and I mean I've been getting calls uh, from Nashville because obviously I've been going there for a long time and I know a lot of people and there are so many heavyweight people in the business in Nashville that believe that if COVID hadn't happened Australian music would have blown up big time in American country music in, and in Nashville there's a lot of great young Australian writers, producers singers and musicians living there now, and um, uh, we're convinced that as COVID goes away and we can start travelling around the world again, that Australian country music, uh, it won't just be Australian rock and roll and pop music, it'll be Australian country music as well, and that's a very exciting thing. That is very exciting, and I'm pleased yeah. that they're finally taking notice. Well, thanks to, to people like you and Michael Gadinsky, you know, that we've got so much going on over here. So great yeah, well, for Aussies. Yeah, well, you know, the late Rob Potts um, yes. really, really did so, so much Didn't for Australian music overseas. And I know on many trips he, he, he was working uh, hard on the... Um, I can't believe it. I've forgotten the name. Uh, oh, it'll come to me. Catherine. Catherine Britt. Oh, yeah. And, and acts like that for years in Nashville. I know he got her a deal over there. And I remember we were there one year for the CMA Festival and we walked about two miles to watch the McClimates playing on an outdoor stage without a roof in 45 degree heat. <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, Steve White's another one who's been championing Australian music and recently signed the Wolf Brothers. Yep. There's so much going on, and I think, you know, I know that um, there's a whole Casey Chambers last run through America went very, very well, and I believe there's going to be a huge push on her. And we just got to stay with it, and hopefully we'll get... You know, we'll get Australian music out there. I mean, I love it. The guy at the Golden Guitars, which I hadn't been to since uh, I went up there the year Billy Thorpe did a duet with Melinda Schneider. Yes. And many years ago, and I hadn't been for a long time. Um, and, oh, I mean, you know, 
up until Rob died two years ago, I mean, I would, Rob would do all that stuff and I would just, I was there for him. But with his death, I've had to get more involved and then signing Casey Barnes in June 2019 to the label and management. Uh, I got more involved, but going up there this year and watching some of the talent was extraordinary. It was fabulous. I um, I was involved with Yachty Indy way back in the 90s, and I did all their touring, not just here, but all over the world. And uh, we did one year, we did a, a tour for the uh, Australian government. It was called Rapiri. It was about, um, you know, trying to educate the young um, Indigenous kids about you know, to stop drinking kerosene and boot polish yeah. and all that sort of shit. And the tour was Yoffy Indian Slim Dusty. And we went up through all the little um, little uh, settlements and villages and wow. places I'd never heard of all up through the, through the centre of Australia and went up to the Tiwi Islands. And, I mean, it was an incredible journey. And to... You know, it was incredible. All the older Indigenous people and the elders, they'd all come with their chairs and they'd sit there and go berserk to Slim and then Slim would finish and all the young ones would walk up to the front of the stage and watch off the Indian. The production manager had um, built a set so that the lights took off like a flying saucer. <laughs> and to watch these little kids' faces <laughs> and their eyes become uh, saucers you know, and just to be out there and sitting around the campfire and Mundawai, Unipingo and Slim and Joy and it, it was all the young Aboriginal kids. It was incredible. And, um, you know, it's it's very special. And I'm really pleased. And there's a lot of Indigenous people um, getting into country music now. And I love Warren Williams and a few of those old boys. They're yeah. just the best. And... Uh, so, no, it's great. I'm really enjoying being part of it. And, uh, you know, um, Natalie Waller, who is a heavyweight at ABC Records, has now been uh, made the Australian International Representative on the CMA board in Nashville. And we're certainly getting much, you know, Rob was on it for years, but we're certainly getting much more respect and uh, advice and help in America. That's such good news for all of our overseas, mm. I think. And, you know, it's just a nice feeling to know that they're recognising and appreciating what we do, thanks to the great groundwork from people like you and other artists, well, of course, know, that I'm have gone a, before I'm us. I'm just a small part of it, but it's great. And, uh, you know, I can't say enough about Keith Irvin, and he's, he's a great supporter of Australian Australians. And I think, you know, the one thing that the COVID has done is that Keith spent a lot of time in Australia, and I think that has been uh, to everybody's advantage because it's, you know, normally you'd fly into Australia, play a couple of shows and go away. Yep. But Keith's been here and he's seeing what's going on and I think that's a huge plus, plus yeah. for us Absolutely. Now, in all of your time, years and years and years, watching some of the biggest musical talents rise to stardom, Michael, what do you think the main factors involved in an artist achieving such success would be? Well, um, as I said earlier, the songs play a big part in this. Songs are very, very important, and whether you're writing them yourselves or, or you've got access to the availability of great songs, 
I think they play a big part of it. And then I think it comes down to personality, um, being a nice person. I've seen a lot of artists have a hit and then implode and disappear mm. in a year because they're assholes. Yep. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, it comes down to songs, personality, and being able to perform live and make people feel really, really special. Yeah, and I think that's that. That's the key, basically. I mean, I've been lucky enough. I I um, was lucky enough uh, to find a demo tape on my bed at a country music conference way back in the nineties in Chicago, and it was the Dixie Chicks. And I was lucky enough to get involved with the girls, and I did all their tours, starting in little pubs in Australia, and that was something special because they. They're probably three of the best musos I've ever seen. And mm. then we were very lucky that we toured Dolly Parton and she taught me so much. What an amazing person. And, um, you know, for years and years, Rob tried to get Alan Jackson to come and we finally got him here. And, of course, when he finally came, he wanted to come back 12 months later. Which <laughs> <laughs> isn't often the smartest thing to do, but... Yeah. And Tim McGraw, I mean, he was incredible. He'd go for a six-mile run before he went on stage. Oh, that's just showing off. And no one likes a show-off. <laughs> no, no, no. That's how he got ready. <laughs> uh, no, that just sounds like hard work. So, man. you know, it's been incredible. And, and, you know, many, many years ago, I um, toured Hootie and the Blowfish when they had those big hits. And then to have um, the lead singer, I've forgotten his name, too. Darius Rucker? Um, yeah, Darius, to have Darius come back and play CMC, and uh, it was amazing. And, I mean, I hadn't seen him, what, it must be 20 years. And he saw me walking along the road backstage at Willowbank, and he ran 200 metres to give me a big cuddle and a kiss. Uh, so, you, 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 you know, you get a buzz out of that. Yeah, of course. And when we had um, a lot of the big acts that have been here, they're so grateful to be here. Um, one of the funniest things was John uh, Espinito, the head of Warner Brothers Nashville, one of the most powerful people in the in the American country music business, in the world country music business, came out. He'd come a couple of times. Anyway, I got to spend some time with him in two, um, in the, at the last festival. Would have been 219, wouldn't it? Yeah. And... Um, he was standing on the side of the stage and he was, one of his artists was just, it was all going berserk. And um, I said, you must be loving this, Espo. He said, it's a pain in my ass. I said, what? <laughs> what is it a pain in your ass? He said, because I'm going to have to go home and listen to 12 albums. I've only ever heard one song from most of these acts. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I said, I wish I had that problem. That's right. Exactly <laughs> yeah. right. Oh, how yeah. funny. Yeah, it was. It was really funny. He was so dry about it. It was just hilarious. So, Michael, I know that there'll be a lot of people listening to this podcast that are sort of up-and-coming artists in the country music industry in Australia that might be looking for maybe some advice or pointers or what would you say, what are the most important things for a young artist to start doing in their career? To believe in their songs, to believe in themselves, to write, you know, to get into writing and to take any opportunity they get to write with whoever they can. 
hard to play anywhere. I mean, even if it's down at the local pub, the three old drunks older than me. I mean, you've got to start somewhere. <laughs> That's it. And, um, you know, I my motto from when I was a kid and it still remains is if you believe in what you're doing and you bang your head against the wall enough, it'll fall down. And that's basically it. I mean, I know I've been through it and I know a lot of acts have been through it where they get to a point where it just doesn't seem as though anything's ever going to happen and mm. suddenly, boom. Yeah. You know, and like my involvement, you know, I've managed a lot of the biggest rock and pop acts. I mean, you know, um, Shepherd are one of the hottest bands in Aussie bands in the world right now. Um, their new album is like number one on iTunes. Hopefully, it'll be number one national. In the you know, by the time people have heard this, Lime Cordial, who worked around Australia for seven years, unknown, and built themselves up, and then got played on Triple J. And this, in the last two years, they've had nine songs in the Triple J Top 50 mm. and the Hottest 100, and um, are breaking all over the world and. To get involved with Casey and and to be part of that and you know Casey if if COVID hadn't happened Casey would have played probably played forty or fifty shows in America last year. Yeah. He played the final grand final world championship of the professional bull riding in Vegas in November nineteen. We were due to go back last year. He started writing songs with uh, some Americans. Uh, two of the singles that went to, uh, number one were written with Americans. Um, the new single he's written with the duo Brown and Gray from Nashville. And the songs are getting better. And uh, his live show is just becoming awesome. And you've just got to keep working and working. And, and you know, it's never... You can always be better. Yes. And always going to be striving for more, don't you? Always, always. You tell, you know, I've seen too many people think they've made it, rest on their laurels, as I said earlier, become arseholes and they disappear very quickly. Mm. Yeah, there's a bit of that going on. I'm sure it's You know, not I'm just... lucky that the, the acts we have um, on our label and management are really, really nice people. Yeah. So when they meet media people, well, you, you would have met Casey on the red carpet, but when you meet when they meet media people or anybody, people go, gee, they're really nice people. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I always find that the closer to the top you get, the nicer that they are. And I reckon there's some sort of correlation with talent. I'm sure there's exceptions to the rule, but as a pretty general good rule, the better that they are as an artist, you know, the nicer they are. Isn't that funny? Yeah, well, there's some, you know, some who won't, who won't do a hell of a lot of media and all, all that. But, you know, I, I never, I'll never forget, I think the first time it really hit home was in the 80s and we toured an act, Chris Isaac. Yep. And uh, we were playing the Cairns, was it Cairns Convention Centre? I think it had just opened. As soon as he finished playing, he put his guitar on the stand, he ran out the front to the merch desk and started signing autographs and meeting people. And that really brought home to me uh, how important and how much people love that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've instilled that into all the artists I work with. And, you know, you've got to go and meet the fans. I mean, 
know, Shepherd went and played a free show. I know they're not country, but they went and played a free show at um, Alexandra Headland Surf Club uh, the week their album was coming out, and uh, 400 people turned up, 500 people, all kids, families, everybody, and we sold 400 albums, which yeah. hopefully helped to get to number one. But that's what it's all about, you know. It's about just... And people are so grateful, especially... Uh, during these times of COVID and restrictions. I mean, we've been trying to do shows and it's not easy because as soon as you mention the word music, the police and <laughs> a, lot the, a lot of the, the, the what, are you, what would you call them, the arsehole bureaucrats who think they own country towns and that mm-hmm. just shut you down. But if you mention sport, oh, not a problem. Oh, no, don't get me started. So it's been really frustrating for us and yep. frustrating for the audiences, but hopefully things will get better as the vaccine gets out there. Until then, I reckon we should all be doing gigs in football jerseys or cricket jerseys or something. <laughs> I've been here, so. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about wearing a basketball skirt. <laughs> I've got pretty good legs, you know, and I've got no hair on them because I used to be a cyclist. Oh, perfect. <laughs> you have great legs for that basketball school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Oh, Michael, it's just been lovely to have a chat with you about all things music and country music. And uh, now I've got to say, though, you know, it's mm-hmm. been a huge shock this week to lose Michael Gudzinski. Of course, we've missed Potsy all the time. You're the last one left, so you oh, have to stay. Others, you have to stay well and stay healthy because we yeah. need you. I've had thousands of people reach out, and uh, Barnsley rang me on the way to the airport the day Michael died, and he, he said, "I'm ringing to see if you're okay." And I said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm fine. I've been. So many people have rung or contacted me to make sure I'm okay. But I'm okay. I mean, I'm lucky, you know, and." Like my last call with Michael, we were talking about how we would, could make sure the Shepherd album got the number one on the Aria charts because he's their publisher, the same as he's Casey's publisher, and we'd been planning a big Melbourne show for Casey to get the thing. You know, so at least I'm working on uh, a couple of acts at the moment that Michael's involved with, so it it gives me a reason to yeah. stay strong and yeah. Please look after yourself because we can't Thank lose you, you too. <laughs> now, if I need to come down there and be your bodyguard or something for a little while or, you know, just give you a hand with some stuff just to keep you on your toes, I'm happy to do that because oh, we need I you. People, I think people would get worried that you're so young and I'm <laughs> such an old bastard, you know. Oh, well, give him something to talk about, you know. <laughs> it is country music after all, right? Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you, Chuggy, and thanks so much for for all that you've done and for being such a champion for Australian country music. We love you for it. All right, thank you. Good to talk to you, sweetie. That is Our Country, a podcast all about the Australian country music industry, written and produced at Two Tem Studios in Tamworth, New South Wales. You can get more details and listen to other episodes at 2tm.com.au. 